really build that education platform to help individuals to achieve financial independence and to focus on content and shows like this going out there and spreading the message and the ability to do that. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, Best Ever listeners, and welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today we'll be speaking with Chris Larson. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Theo. Excited to be on you today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. A little bit about Chris. He's a full-time real estate investor, author, and sales executive, the founder of Next Level Income, through which he helps investors become financially independent. He has over 20 years of real estate investing experience in development, private lending, buying distressed debt, commercial offices, and syndication. Based in Asheville, North Carolina, his website is Next Level income.com. So Chris, you mind telling us some more about your background and what you're focused on today? Yeah, thanks Theo. So as you said, over 20 years of real estate investing, started in college, age 21, 
I was racing my bicycle at the time. So I started racing bicycles at age 14. And it's funny, I think back and I always really enjoyed the thought of having freedom. And one of the best things about riding a bicycle, I'll never forget when I could like leave my neighborhood on a bike and I had this sense of freedom. And then I started riding with a family friend and I rode from our house, which was 10 miles from Annapolis, all the way to Annapolis, Maryland, and then met who became my best friend and training partner, Chris Strader. And we'd meet after school every day and we'd ride all over the place, Theo, and we'd travel up and down the East Coast and eventually across the country racing as juniors. And Chris became like a brother to me. So I got into college. I was studying engineering at Virginia Tech. And my freshman year, the family friend who got me into cycling also introduced me to investing and the idea of compound interest. I started a Roth IRA. I started investing, started day trading and was making and sometimes losing thousands of dollars a month as a junior in college. At that point, I had quit cycling. And the reason is my best friend, Chris, had passed away. He died between my freshman and sophomore years. And I raced my sophomore year. I kind of got burned out, but I also crossed the line after winning a race and I felt hollow. And I realized that I was meant to do more than just race my bicycle. So I quit racing. I wanted to be free to pursue the best life that I could. And I thought that investing would be the best option to achieve that freedom. But after trading in the stock market for a little over a year in the late 90s, I realized that personality-wise, I wanted something a little more concrete and a little bit more controllable. And I bought my first property age 21 after a bunch of reading. Went on to build a portfolio of single-family rentals. But after some more introspection later on in my life, about 15 years later, I realized there were better ways to invest in real estate. And at that time, I came upon multifamily. I realized that the passive nature of it, the income, the controlled appreciation, the tax benefits a good fit for me. I ultimately unwound my entire single family portfolio, moved into commercial real estate, and then formed a partnership. And we did our first syndication in 2016. And we are now on our ninth syndication here since then. So we've been focused on the Southeast and that's been our main focus when it comes to real estate here, Theo. You say you've done nine syndications so far, the first one in 2016, correct? That's right. How long had you been doing this investing in multifamily or was it just multifamily or was it you're buying by yourself or were you buying other commercial properties too? We started off with our first multifamily investment in 2013. We did some other smaller deals, like smaller commercial office deals as well along the way, but probably 80% of what we've done since 2013 has been multifamily. Perfect. So you did multifamily for three years before moving into your syndication. Why did you go from, I'm assuming using your own money or maybe doing JVs to doing syndications? It was about two years before we made the decision. It took us, as you know, it wasn't like, hey, we're going to do a syndication. And we made some calls in the next month. We got our first deal. It took us about nine months to do that. So my partner and I, we had been investing with the same group. I introduced him to the group that we invested with. It was out of Richmond, Virginia. We went through their mentorship program. And between the two of us, we had more real estate experience than the group we were investing with. Not more knowledge in the space, but we've been doing it. We had a lot of connections and we decided that doing a partnership with them, an initial JV would be a good way to start. It would lower our risk and that would give us one more control, but also it would give us the ability to have a bigger piece of the action. So was the first one a syndication or was it the JV? The first one we did in 2016 was a JV. We did syndicate it though. We brought 100% of the capital to that deal, but we had them on as basically an operating partner. Sure. Um, so two questions. Number one, was that a part of the mentorship program where they would agree to be a JV with you or was 
is something that was separate and you had to have that conversation with them? That's a good question. It wasn't set for any one person. So there were different members of that mentorship program and they would just be investors and they wanted to learn more about investing. There were groups that would come and they would do JVs where they would bring some of the capital. There were groups like us where we 100% of the capital and brought them on in a more of a consulting capacity is probably more accurate. So it varied, but that was one of the options that they had. How much of the equity in the deal did they get for having that consulting role? And they explained what else they did. They signed the loan. Did they have any other active involvement? And then how much did they get for that? Actually, the way we worked that out, that's why I said it maybe it'd be more accurate to talk about them as a consultant versus a JV. Since we were able to bring in 100% of the capital and we were able to sign on the loan, we brought them in and they got a piece of the asset management fee. Perfect. So they got a piece of the asset management fee. So what about the structure with the investors? What was that structure between the GP and the LP for that first deal? First deal, it was a 20-80 split. So 20% to the GPs, 80% to investors. The cash, the investors got almost 95% of the cash flow from the operations of that. And then how did you find these investors? Like I said, we decided to form our partnership in late 2015. And I remember for the next few months, just making phone calls. I've always done a good job at networking, Theo. So I just started calling people that I work with over the years. I knew kind of had an entrepreneurial streak. Being in the medical device field where I spent 15 years, I knew a lot of high-income individuals. They were either selling, I knew doctors, and I started making phone calls. I said, hey, this is what we're doing. This is the concept that we have. We've been investing in this space for a couple of years. We're going out and we're going to be putting together a group of investors that is going to be a multifamily property in this range. And that first deal we bought was $9 million. So kind of gave them a range. And we just said, for instance, Theo, is this something you'd be interested in more about? And we put together a list and it's interesting. You know, you get a list of 50 people and you're like, yeah, I got a lot of money ready to go. You might get about 10 of those people. That's what I was going to ask you next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always tell people, I said, if somebody looks you in the eye, shakes your hand, and swears on their firstborn that they're going to invest $100,000, they're good for about a 50-50 shot on that. That's funny. So you said you had a list about, so you'd say it was about 20% of the people on that list ended up investing in your deal? I have to look back and look at the exact number, but yeah, that's about right. Okay. How'd the process work? Investor calls, get their commitments, partnering up with the consulting firm, and then finding that deal. So what order did those happen in? First was working with the mentorship group that we worked with and going through the process with them. Two was forming the partnership and agreeing to that. Three was reaching out to investors and basically getting expression of interest from those investors. And I'm trying to remember if at that time we actually got a dollar figure in mind, but it may have just been an expression of interest. And then at some point we circled back and said, Hey, we have some deals in the pipeline. Are you still interested in investing? At what level would that be? So then we got basically a soft reserve, if you will, on that. And then I want to say it was about three months from time that we identified the property to closing. I do remember it was August 2nd of 2016. So I want to say it was about three months from the time we identified the property, we were able to get all the capital. I will say we were still raising capital after close on that deal. So we we scrapped by, but we raised about $4.5 million for that first deal, Theo. How did you know what size deals to look at dollar amount wise? We had an idea of how much capital that we would raise. And we were looking for something that was a hundred units or more. 
that deal was actually right at 100 units. It was a 100 unit deal in Savannah, Georgia, and came in right at 90,000 a door. Okay, so what things were you doing to generate leads? And then how did you end up finding this deal? So I've read your book, so you know how the process works, but we went into the market. We identified a few markets that we were interested in. As I talk about in my book, which if anybody's interested, you mentioned our website, nextlevelincome.com, but you can get a free copy of our book, clicking on the book link and you put your address and I'll even send you a free copy. So I talk about in there how you don't identify the deal first, you identify the market first. We moved to Nashville, North Carolina for the demographics of the Southeast and the Southeast was where we were focused. So, you know, Atlanta, Georgia was one of those MSAs that we were focused on. So we used our contacts with the group that we first started investing with to develop some broker relationships down there, let them know what size deal we were looking for, the capital that we had. Fortunately, we had the partnership with that group to give us some backing, some credibility so that those brokers knew that we could actually get that deal done. And that's ultimately what allowed us to identify that deal, ultimately get it under contract and then move forward. On market or off market? It's a good question. I believe that was an off market deal, but I can't remember exactly on that one. Who did the screening that particular deal? So who did it? And then what did you actually do to screen it and to come up with that offer price? We worked hand in hand with one of the partners in the initial group that we invested with to do the underwriting. And then also the property management company, we worked with them, the EVP, Ed is his name. We worked with him closely to verify those numbers, make sure that they were solid numbers that we were going in on that and that our budget was very tight. And back in 2016, the margins were a little bit bigger than they are today but we were conserved. We had some additional cash that we set aside and we pulled some money out of that deal last year. And it's performed about two times better than pro forma. Wow. Well, thanks for going into a lot of detail on that first deal. Whenever people are doing syndications or whatever, I like to focus on the first deal so people know what it's like to get yeah. started. Whereas if you talk about doing a thousand unit deals and raising millions and millions of dollars, people are like, that's crazy. But let's talk about that now. So let's talk about the yeah. nine deals so far. Let's talk about what are some of the challenges, if there are any, of, of doing <laughs> oh, yeah. more than just one deal, it's kind of scaling up from doing that one first deal to now having to manage that deal while also continually trying to get more deals and then get investor capital and close on the deals while you're also asset managing. What are some challenges you face there? So I think when you start off as any entrepreneur, Theo, you're kind of doing everything yourself. And you have an idea in mind. You're like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You're raising capital. You're trying to cultivate your investor network. You're underwriting deals. You're working with the property management team. And that's okay if you have one deal or if you have a partner, you're both kind of overlapping a bunch on that. When your portfolio grows, at some point, you can't handle everything effectively and continue to grow the business. So whether you're working in the medical device industry or whether you're in real estate, whatever it is, I think ultimately the ability to grow comes down to your team identifying people and skill sets that fit the places on the team. So is the process one on the challenges? Okay, I enjoy this. I'm good at this, but that's not the highest, best use. And there's been some challenges. I lost that original partner I worked with. I no longer work with that individual. It's a bit of a long story, but there was a fatal flaw in that partnership. And we did our last deal over a year ago together with respect to that. And I think the different vision of where you want to take a business, if that's not aligned, then ultimately that partnership is not going to work out. There's going to come to be a breaking point. So I think if I had to go back and say, all right, what was the biggest challenge? It was realizing that not being on the same page in the beginning for where you wanted that five-year vision can really damage things. So 
first off, making sure that you're well aligned and then making sure that you have the right people on the team and then learning how to evaluate those people so you can put them in the team. I'm part of Strategic Coach, which is a, a coaching program. And Dan Sullivan calls it your unique ability. So I'd say identifying that unique ability is challenging, but once you do it, it's going to give you the most energy, what you would do if you could work every day for free. And ultimately, if you can find people that can have their unique abilities and fit into those roles on your team, it's very challenging. But once you get it, it's like magic. Who was the first role you hired someone for and why? In my company, the first person I hired was somebody to head up my marketing and social media. So for me, it's interesting. I read your guys' book, talk about building a social media presence, building a presence in a funnel. And there's a lot of pieces that I put into place for that. But I think if you're trying to scale in this business, there's two things you need. One, you need deal flow and two, you need capital. So to build a platform and build a presence, I didn't really have a lot of expertise in social media, in building a website, starting a blog, doing a podcast. And that was the first person I brought on board to really help me scale that aspect. And I read your guys' book and it's like, oh, I kind of figure out how to do this slowly. I wish I had that as a resource to start off because you guys definitely have it boiled down in how to do that. But then probably the second person I hired personally was an executive assistant. So somebody that could handle the day-to-day stuff. So I brought up my book earlier. So if you go on our website and you put your information in, my executive assistant, she's going to pull all that information. She's going to put it in and she's going to send that book out to you. Unless you want to sign copy, then let me know. And I'll do that myself personally. But somebody that can keep the wheels turning in the background so you can focus on those high value activities. And then again, somebody that could help me fill the top of the funnel, so to speak, to get out there, spread the message. So the next level income form, Theo. Not only do we provide opportunities to invest, but the big thing we do, which is education, really build that education platform to help individuals to achieve financial independence and the focus on content and shows like this going out there and spreading the message and the ability to do that. Well, in addition to all of the great advice you've given us thus far, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Look, I'll put my money where my mouth is. I think the best advice I could have is to find a partner that has actually executed the success that you want to emulate and then reach out to that person or that group and say, Hey, listen, Theo, I'm interested in doing what you're doing. You've been very successful in this space. If they can or don't have the ability to work with you, ask them for advice. What would they do? Because again, going back, if I had to do it all over again, I probably could have cut the time in half or even three quarters to achieve the same level that I am at today. All right, Chris, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, first, a quick word from our sponsor. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Okay, Chris, what is the best ever book you've recently read? So I brought up Strategic Coach and Dan Sullivan, he's always coming out with new books. And it talks about as entrepreneurs, we're trying to find how we can do something. He talks about finding the right who to do those things. That's going to help scale your business. And then what was the book title again? Who, not how. Who, Dan. not how. I thought you said okay. Yeah. 
if your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? Probably I'd do what I did when I started with our syndicate model. I would reach out to all my contacts, the people that I'd either worked with, worked for, or people that worked for me or I trained. And this is assuming I already had a vision in mind of what I wanted to do if I wanted to rebuild my business. But I'd reach out to those contacts. I'd tell them what was going on. And I'd either ask for help or I would give them a vision of where I was going and if they wanted to get on board. What is the best ever way you'd like to give it back? There is a group here in Asheville, North Carolina, Open Doors. And Open Doors works to close the education gap between those in poverty and those that are not. So one of the initiatives I'm working on with them is a financial education initiative. So we love to not only donate to Open Doors, but I'm working on content and some ability to help grow their program. And then lastly, what is the best ever place to reach you? I think you already mentioned it. Nextlevelincome.com. You can access our podcast. You can get a copy of our free book there. You can also check out our blog and you can reach me at Chris at nextlevelincome.com. Perfect, Chris. Well, thanks for joining us today and giving us your best ever advice. Some of the major takeaways for me was how you started in syndications first. You worked your way up. So you started doing single family homes and you went from single family to doing multifamily homes by yourself. And then you went up to doing syndication by raising money, but you did that with a partner as well as a mentorship group. And then you went off to doing it with a business partner, and then you ended up doing it by yourself over time. And then we went into a lot of detail on that first deal of what order the pieces fell into place, how you raised that money, and the fact that not every person you talk to is going to actually invest, the structure you did, how you found the deal, and that strategy. And then I really liked what you said about scaling and how originally everyone tried to do everything themselves, but eventually that's just not possible to do everything effectively is just not enough hours in the day. And so you need to identify first, what do you like doing, what you're good at, but also making sure that that's the highest and best use of your time because maybe you really like doing something or you're really good at something that's not the most important thing that needs to be done, that $1,000 or $10,000 an hour activity. So from there, you can start to hire things out. And so you started off by hiring a marketing social media person and then the next hire was the executive assistant. And then making sure that each of those people have the unique ability that is required to effectively fulfill the responsibilities of that role. And then your best ever advice, which is what you act on, as you mentioned, which is to find a mentor and or a partner. Someone's a group of people who have done what you want to do or at a point in their business that you want to be at and then reach out to them. And by doing so, you can cut the time it takes to get to a certain level or get to that level in half or in, in third. So Chris, again, I really appreciate it. Make sure you guys check out his website, nextlevelincome.com. Take advantage of him offering his book to you. Thanks again for tuning in. Best ever listeners, have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Theo.